Involve. Solve. Evolve. Welcome to Cloud Crunch, the podcast for any large enterprise planning on moving to or is in the midst of moving to the cloud. Hosted by the cloud computing experts from Second Watch, Ian Willoughby, Chief Architect Cloud Solutions, and Skip Berry, Executive Director of Cloud Enablement. And now, here are your hosts of Cloud Crunch. Welcome back, everybody, to Cloud Crunch. And this week, we're going to have an interesting episode recapping AWS's reInvent in 2020. Uh, a little different this year, obviously. So we're going to get into some of those details. And then obviously what's going on there, what we find with our uh, experience out in the field, what's going to be very impactful for everybody. First, though, I want to welcome back my co-host, Skip Barry. Skip, good to hear you. Hey. Hey, Ian. Happy New Year. Same to you. Yeah. Yeah. Good to see you. Absolutely. And Joe Conlin is our, our guest this week. He is a strategic solution architect based in the New York City metropolitan area. He works with some very interesting customers out there in the media and entertainment space primarily, but obviously has uh, some great experience just across the board. Been uh, You've been in the cloud for quite some time, haven't you, Joe? I have, and it's an honor to be here with both of you, fine gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Welcome, Joe. <laughs> yeah, welcome. So we all know Joe very well. So this is uh, not only will it be an insightful conversation, but hopefully a little bit of humor along the way here with it as well. But Joe, let's uh, let's kind of dig into this right now. Obviously, it, reInvent was virtual this year, you know, so that is a very impactful piece to it. But what was kind of your overall impression of uh, of the experience? So for me personally, I've got mixed feelings. So obviously, the the decision to do a remote virtual. You know, it was it was bigger than any individual's call to make. I mean, we all had to to go through that and uh, a similar means together. But uh, I won't lie; I really enjoyed not having to fly to Vegas right after Thanksgiving with all those crowds. Those that's usually pretty stressful. And and honestly, I think a lot of reinvents. It's hard to get into a lot of the sessions you want to get from place to place. I mean, there's there's physical limitations that let you be everywhere you want to be at once. So to that end, I think having it virtual, it, it helped being able to cherry pick the things you want to see. But for me, again, I think the, the big downside was a lot of the value I have with the reInvent experience is seeing people face to face. And just from an industry perspective, it's a good way to see peers that you know may be working at different places. Industry is a, a small place. So you tend to see people... Um, move around from place to place. And this is a great opportunity to, to interface with people. And I don't think we had that necessarily this year. So, you know, looking at the virtual experience, there were those benefits of getting what you wanted, when you want it, and the, the, the manner you did, you know, kind of fit it into your, your schedule. But, um, you know, I definitely missed out on some of that, that uh, face-to-face interaction. How about you guys? Yeah. Same. Yeah, same here for me, for sure. Especially the customers. Uh, love meeting customers new and current and former. Um, but I think that was the probably, you know, uh, the biggest miss for me. Uh, didn't miss all the aforementioned, you know, get on a plane right after Thanksgiving and what have you. But um, I did like the flexibility, you know, of being able to pick and choose a lot better where you could get in and whatever kind of uh you know, whatever you wanted to consume really was at your leisure. But yeah, overall, same. Uh, still great. Uh, what do you what do you call that? Uh, um, 
a show or, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what you call reinvent really at the end of the day, but um, I wonder if we can um, petition Mr. Jassy to do it in the middle of the year somehow. I, I feel like always it's too early at the beginning of the year, if you were going to do it. And at the end of the year, you're just out of gas, you know? So I don't know if there would ever be any consideration from the AWS folks for that, but I, those are my, those are my only thoughts. I think I think to some degree, Skip, you already have what you want. There's a reinforce that they do in the middle of the year. Hopefully, hopefully this year it'll be back and running by yeah. you know yeah. July August time frame or June. I think it is. So yeah, good point. We'll see. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I like to focus on the positive, but I think the the other downside I would point to is the the three weeks or so of releases. I feel like it was a little too long. Again, time of the year, and you've got your holidays and people trying to wrap up their years. It's a lot of material to release and get out there, but also it's a lot of time for, for you to have a, a split focus. So I think case in point, that's why a, a conversation like this kind of recapping findings is really important. So if you couldn't make three weeks worth of uh, content, maybe we can help you accelerate um, cherry picking things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's dig into a little bit kind of what, Joe, what you thought are some of the overall themes that uh, the different speakers, obviously you got different keynotes, uh, releases and sessions. What were some of those trends that you or, or themes did you see coming out of these announcements? Well, I feel for me, the biggest one that resonated this year, well, there's several. One has been unavoidable for the last several years, and it's been Amazon's push around AI and machine learning and not only from releasing services and and enhancing features, but I think really showing a lot of that their focus is in this area to signal to the market that this is this is where their attention is going. This is where their customers are are looking and and asking them for. This year, I think we're starting to see a lot of that come through, and you know, it ties into new instance types. Uh, coming out with their own, um, you know, different instance types that move you beyond just the GPU based for um, training your models. There's a lot of these themes and in, in even from a workflow enhancement with SageMaker, a lot of time and attention and focus bringing those messages back to machine learning, AI as a, a through line. So when you ask me that question, that's the first thing that comes to mind. There's several others that are in the periphery, but that's that's what I see. What would you guys think? Yeah, no, I, I think absolutely. I think there was a lot of conversation just starting from the keynote about, you know, how you can use AI to really enhance your business. I thought, you know, one of the, 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 as they do the keynote, they bring customer, you know, speakers into it. <laughs> Remember, they used to do it on the stage live. Now it's pre recorded, of course. Uh, there was a pharmaceutical device manufacturer that, you know, quickly adopted their IoT device, essentially a human IoT device. To, to identify whether or not you may be exposed to COVID. You know, this is all AI based, of course. And uh, I think it's really, really starting to see the practicality of how businesses can actually adopt and consume these services. And I think that's really exciting because we've been working with customers over the last year that have started to do their first forecasting or AI models and really and it, discovering that business value behind it. One of the other episodes that we have was uh, about a data lake and how it can really improve the customer experience when they're at a, one of their stores and really monitor it and do some predictions around that. And I think that, to me, is the most exciting aspect of it. If there was only one theme, it was, the, and you're right, AIML, 
Spot on. Yeah. And it seems like sure. now the tools are there. It doesn't take away the understanding. You know, you still need to understand the data. Like you still can't get around that. There's no easy button for it. But as far as a data scientist or I feel like the the data scientist, obviously you can't circumvent that need. You know, you need to understand data and how it correlates to, to things, you know, for lack of a better description. But as far as being able to take away the undifferentiated heavy lifting, as they often say at AWS, uh, being able to use and train and import the data, I think that's, you know, it, it's just really going to accelerate businesses' adoption of this type of technology. I think, yeah, specifically Code Guru and DevOps Guru, for me, watching that and looking at that and see where that is now, that will really help. You know, there's they're taking more and more excuses away from uh, not adopting some areas of, uh, you know, we'll say uh, pre-baked AI into some of these disciplines. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, it, Joe, what, what else did you see out there as far as trends? So uh, definitely around the infrastructure, improvements around storage, selfishly, you know, infrastructure is a, a, a area where I see a lot of this just from the clients that we work with trying to, you know, understand how to take workloads that may be in a data center working a certain way with a certain um, technology stack, bring it into the cloud. And, you know, how do you, how do you balance moving something with being able to bring those uh, or leverage the improvements that the cloud can offer? I think in the past, there's been a lot of design decisions that have been driven by maybe uh, capabilities that cloud didn't have a one-to-one match from a performance or, or feature perspective. And so uh, sometimes, you know, adoption can slow down when you get sort of bent around the axle trying to figure out, well, this is how we do it in a data center. You know, when we move to the cloud, we want to do it this way, but we have to kind of bring things around. So, I think AWS through, again, this wasn't all just in this reInvent, but we're starting to see the fruits of prior improvements around like Nitro and introducing that. We're starting to see the enablement of things like the IO2 volumes and and, and things of that nature, where now you can get higher IOPS uh, performance without necessarily needing a trade-off for uh, cost. You know, in the past, you would need to maybe over-provisioned capacity to reach the, um, the performance need for your workload. And, it, you know, yeah, you can get it done, but it doesn't feel like you're, you're doing this in the you know, most optimized manner. And I think some of these releases are really taking us further down that path of realizing, you know, you're not making a, a trade-off, if you will, of what you did in your data center with, you know, your, your commercial storage arrays and, and, and other components. Now we're starting to close that gap. And not only that, it's it's less about closing the gap on just those areas. That's where I say sort of selfishly, I think we're we we kind of move beyond the um, the infrastructure building components. That's like the uh, the 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 old yester tech that we're we're just used to cloud's got this all figured out. You just provision the service and you don't need to worry about it anymore. Let's focus on AI and these, you know, bells and whistles. But at the end of the day, it's it's compute, storage, network. Those tend to be the, the main drivers from an enterprise customer that we typically interface with. Those are the things that are driving a lot of their, their cloud costs and, and consumption. So anytime that there's improvements made there to do things in a more optimized fashion, it has a big impact on the bottom line. And when those happen, that's where we start to see customers being able to double down in those more strategic 
services and initiatives. Um, it builds a little bit more breathing room uh, in budgets and things to do those uh, POCs and, and start to explore and, and experiment more. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think sort of taking a, a, the step back at 2020 and you know how the pandemic affected a lot of a lot of businesses. We started to see those that were in cloud already had different levers in play that they could start to leverage. Sure, there are services like uh, you know VDI solutions and a lot of collaboration tools that could be used to help a, a an organization weather the storm, so to speak. Which the time of recording, we're still in the storm. <laughs> it's uh, maybe normalized a bit, but um, you know beyond that. You, you're given levers that agility within the cloud where you can start to look at where your spend is and, and adjust things. So if there are other aspects of the business that maybe aren't as flexible, IT starts to become a piece where you can uh, leverage the technology in, in cloud in general to help fuel those other aspects of the business to get through maybe a global pandemic. And uh, I think some of these features and enhancements um, help enable an organization to do that even better than they had in the past. Yeah. I take one note too, uh, listening to Peter DeSantis. Um, there's a hidden message there that there's comfort and correlation, right? So for the longest time, if you look at enterprises, right, it doesn't look like my data center in the cloud. It's a black box. Now, uh, mm -hmm. this is kind of an undertone of helping those that uh, have, whether they're reluctant to move or just because of those infrastructure things that aren't in the cloud or it's not known to them in the cloud. Now, with these announcements and what they're doing there, it's taken that, again, uh, risk out of the situation or no more excuses so the correlation there has uh, provided them some comfort to go finally into the cloud. That's what that's what I got as the hidden undertone of that that message. So, mm. yeah, that, that's an interesting one. I think definitely we're seeing these trends for faster data, different ways to store your data, access your data, normalize it. You know, through different crawlers, those types of things as well. But you know, at the cornerstone of a lot of data is databases, right? And so. Well, the surprise announcements to me, and I, I guess it's a surprise when it came out, but I, I think you could see it coming if you look back as the Babelfish. And uh, so to explain what Babelfish is really quickly for our audience, if you don't if you catch that announcement, it's basically a way that you can switch your underlying database technology to an open source platform, let's say from a, a Windows SQL platform, without having to change code necessarily. So it's like an interpreter Hence, Babelfish, it can supposedly speak any language, which makes me wonder what other databases are going to go after in the near term. So, Joe, what, what do you think about those types of uh, data? We'll call it modernization as well. Yeah. So theme, another theme, again, not unique to reInvent, but showcasing their, their the focus there is that uh, if you're consuming commercial database licenses or you know, you have a, a reliance on commercial operating systems uh, and, and licensing there. AWS has given you a lot of options and on ramps to ameliorate the pain if you're if you're invested in moving away from them. So that has been a theme. You know, speaking as uh, a solution architect at Second Watch, we work with enterprises that maybe work with multiple clouds and some have a real strategic need for leveraging, you know, these enterprise licensing. And it doesn't make sense for everybody to 
rip and replace their enterprise uh, commercial databases or, or operating systems. But if there isn't really a strategic need, or if it's just a piece that's been in play in the past, I think these are an interesting way that Amazon is providing to help you not just assume that you have reliance if there isn't a technical or business need for you to to use this software. So Babelfish specifically addressed um, some conversations that we're having with different clients today around how they're leveraging databases. I think like any new release that comes out, uh, sometimes there could be some features that you really have to investigate and in trial and kind of put through their paces to see you know, how comprehensive or, or how much work is actually involved. So, you know, nothing is ever an easy button <laughs> or rarely is it an easy button where you just put it in place and you can automatically uh, take your Microsoft SQL server and convert it over to Aurora Postgres with just implementing this one simple trick. But <laughs> with that, <laughs> with that comes the ability to, uh, you know, you have somewhere to investigate instead of maybe just having the, the black box that you're trying to investigate and figure out what the level of effort is and, and what the potential benefit. Now you can maybe have a more focused proof of concept to look into different workloads, really compartmentalize what that effort is and time. And, uh, you know, really, if you can save any time of your team and focus, that's time focus you can reapply to to more strategic things as well but yeah i, I look at um i look at these tools like babblefish you know the the benefit that i think an organization is looking towards would be what what's the potential cost savings in the long run by moving off of these these commercial licenses and yeah there's probably going to be some short term pain and getting there and and what it takes to you know, pull back the covers on how things work today, what the impact is, what the benefit. But um, this also goes in line with, you know, jumping over to the compute aspect, these, these Graviton instances. You know, there's a lot of potential cost savings that can be leveraged if you don't just assume a lot of the, the same incumbent tools and, and uh, technologies you've been using are needed. If you take the time and investigate it, AWS, you know, AWS and, and others, but AWS in particular at reInvent has been driving home this message of we're giving you the incentive to do that through, you know, here's a, you can switch to ARM processors through Graviton. Um, and of course, it's not going to support your your Windows OS. So you, maybe you'd be uh, changing operating systems and the, the effort that entails there. And the same thing with uh, SQL Server databases. If you're going to uh, convert those over to Aurora Postgres, you know you can have significant savings in the long run. And because Amazon's making the the changes easier to do with longer term incentives to do so, I think they're making a compelling case for if you're an organization that's on the fence and like I said before, those commercial database software platforms or operating systems aren't really needed, then uh, you could have a, a potential big upside to, to making that move going forward. That's my, my take. Yeah, I still recommend consultancy for people that are going through uh, database modernization, I would, I would imagine, from your perspective. Yeah, and, and so, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, that was a loaded question. It wasn't a trick question or a loaded question. It was. I, I, I'm I glad think you it, asked. 
And I know yeah. that's the firm you can contact. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I think I, I, I want to be careful. I, I always careful. These tools are great. They're magnificent. They have moved us so far down the line, you know, and focus on the things that are really important. But I, I also want to, you know, caveat that and get your opinion, really. Again, you know, there's still a level of consultancy that's required. And for us to come in uh, or any consultant company to come in and focus on, you know, the, the business matter at hand. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that tie that together, too, because I, I tie it tie it back to my own personal experience of, you know, as as I've kind of gone through different different paths in my IT career. You know, starting off, I would I would be confused at why the consultancy would be needed if, say, the the um, the, the organization's team had the skills or they understood how the databases worked and could do this work themselves. You know, through my time at Second Watch and and else you know, prior to Second Watch, what you learn is that everything there's a trade off. You know, it's time, it's money, it's focus. And, you know, cloud drives a lot of that home with, you know, undifferentiated heavy lifting. Uh, that's the, the Amazon uh, buzz phrase of if you're, if you're spending time doing that, then that's time and effort that could be spent on the things that do make your organization different and drive revenue for your business. It's the same thing with looking at these, these database platforms. And even if your teams are highly competent, and you know, I'm speaking to your teams as the, 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 you know, if you're you're in an organization and you have a database team, they can be highly competent. They can know exactly what needs to get done, but do they have the time to go through all the due diligence to um, look at how things are functioning? They have the time and due diligence to to put together a plan, fallback plans, um, just all of those pieces that would ensure successful delivery and meeting what an objective is. And it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of work to go through. And when you bring expertise into the fold, you can really shortcut a lot of the, the stubbing your toe against common problems, the meetings and conversations that don't need to be had because you can shortcut to the, the place you need to go. Yeah. Um, and again, I come back to the, the pandemic. I feel like you hear everyone say it on these, these conversations, but the pandemic puts this in perfect perspective because there is other problems that you're probably going to need to attend to. Um, is this an area that you want to be spending your, your, your team strategic time and focus on, or do you just need the outcome with, you know, people who can help you competently get to that output or that, that outcome by having the right questions, understanding the, the objective and then working smoothly towards that objective so that your team is doing more. So, um, there's a lot of work to be done in these. There's no shortcutting it. Tools can help accelerate, but you you know, you still need to know where to apply the tool and when and and uh, when it's not not getting the job done. Yeah, well stated. Well said, Joe. Yep. Joe, obviously, you focus a lot of your time and energy towards media and entertainment companies. Anything that you saw over there and those types of announcements that would really uh, benefit or some exciting things coming out? So they did not announce anything on the modular synthesizer uh, area. (laughs) And just just for the audience to know that uh, uh, that's one of Joe's (laughs) hobby passions is synthesizers. So I just want to make sure I'm building them and using them. There's no no cloud application yet, Um, but... (laughs) Maybe I'll be a thought leader. 
Andy Jassy, if you're listening, um, <laughs> more, more, more seriously, um, I, I think, I think the wavelength zones is one of the real interesting areas that I've been paying attention to, and I think could be really interesting in terms of application. So if you're not aware, wavelength zones, it's a, I believe it's a partnership between Verizon and, and Amazon, where essentially in your Amazon console, your AWS uh, console, you log in and with a wavelength zone, you have just the same way you would provision in any other zone. You have access to, I believe you still have to opt in for this right now, but you have the ability to opt into these zones that uh, are uh, uplink through 5G and you can provision resources, albeit a subset, but you can deploy VPC, EC2 and some others um, and leverage these 5G wavelength zones just natively in AWS and um, having got a little bit of stick time on it and, and doing some of the uh, the labs and demos, you know, I was impressed with how, I guess, easy, intuitive, if you're familiar with operating in um, the AWS cloud, how, how intuitive it was. It just worked. The one sort of downside, I think, or not, not a downside, it's just the consideration is that to leverage these wavelength zones, you really need to have an application that is leveraging them in a way that makes sense. Because if you're interacting with these local resources over 5G, now there's a number of different zones available today across multiple areas. I, I don't even want to date this podcast by <laughs> naming them. At reInvent, they, they released a few other zones as well. But as you'd expect, they're in dense, densely populated urban areas. So if you have your consumers of your application, your data connected through 5G, you can enhance that experience. And so if you're working, uh, again, like a media and entertainment type customer and you have content you want to deliver to your end users in these highly populated areas, this is another uh, uh, arrow in your quiver, so to speak, that you can use to, to optimize your experience and um, deliver in a, a new manner. But it's, a, again, a sort of a building block that you can build your applications on to enhance what that end user experience is. I'm excited about it, again, like I said, because it's so intuitive and easy to to sort of jump in and start to work with. But the problem that the the application developers, are, I think, are going to need to work through is if you have a, a 5G or client interfacing with your application on 5G and they start to migrate beyond that zone, you know, how are you handling their state as you move between different places and, and delivering content? So it's not a, a drop in like, oh, all of a sudden it just magically does everything for you. It's like another um, uh, building block that you can you can build with. And I think it's going to be really interesting for uh, media entertainment specifically because of uh, content delivery. But um, we'll see. We'll see what other uh, applications emerge. Getting us out to the edge further and further, right? Yeah, yeah. No, actually, there's another one too. Um, thank you for reminding me. Outposts. So um, Outposts is another one at the edge, providing uh, the, the compute and storage closer to where the consumers may be. So uh, specific to meeting entertainment, you know, we've heard from different clients and, and others in the, the space that when the pandemic hit, it had an impact to pretty much all aspects of the the, the pipeline or the, the supply chain, if you will. But on the production side, um, you know, there's people that are setting up 
avid workstations and in their homes, uh, you know, saw some cool pictures of people setting up uh, remote workstations and, and other things, sort of figuring out on the fly how to ensure that uh, that the the content was continuing to be created and delivered to those that were, you know, being honest. I mean, I think we're all <laughs> confined to four walls and uh, streaming probably more than we were uh, 12 months ago. So, you know, the, the demand is there and increasing, but the need for some of the ingenuity around how that content gets there in ways that maybe in the past um, you didn't have to think about. Pandemic brought that one home and uh, accelerated that. So Outpost provides an, an interesting way for some of that, you know, hyper-local processing of uh, large-scale data. So um, looking at content streams and things of that nature and, and anything that would involve processing that. Uh, and I, I think if you look back to some of the original uh, outposts zones that were introduced, you know, I, I believe it was in the, the uh, Los Angeles region. I, I think yeah. a lot of these, these uh, services are really speaking towards the edge and, and understanding that at the edge, there's still some important processing that needs to happen. Um, in interfacing with the rest of the cloud and that um, life cycle, making that easy is, is really important to uh, mm-hmm. to bring that the cloud in experience to its uh, its full potential. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, Skip, I'll throw you a curveball on outposts. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know in your past you, you had work with a lot of a lot of uh, big iron, so to mm-hmm. speak. Yeah. What are your thoughts on uh, on outposts and? Yeah, actually, let me. So the good question, the storage aspect, big advancement for me. Um, you know, that's without mentioning my former, uh, where I spent a lot of time. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's I would say even going back five years, um, unfounded, unthought of that you could even achieve that in in the cloud today, right? Within a data center, uh, east west, of course, you could do that, right? But um, but even offer that to someone operating in the cloud and seeing those kind of, uh, you know, for EBS and the IO2 block now is just really quite an advancement. Um, kudos there. And that will be very disruptive to those uh, monolithic storage creators, uh, providers, uh, if you will. I think from the converged infrastructure aspect you know, where uh, that's where I spent a lot of my time developing it and also implementing it and, and pulling in that storage aspect of it. Now where we are and looking at, uh, you know, what Outpost is offering and where they've actually even listened and they've offered, I don't want to say smaller configurations, but more right size configurations now for customers to consume. Uh, again, uh, this is a, a recurring theme with me. It's removing any other excuse again, you know, to not leverage uh, whether it's AWS or any cloud, right? You know, so it it again is is uh, painting a picture and helping uh, enterprises, you know, really remove any, reduce the risk, remove any risk uh, for them to, you know, basically get out of the traditional infrastructure business and really embrace the cloud for what it is now. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, this this has been great. This year was really great, albeit obviously the uh, logistics aspects of it. But um, but this was really um, I probably my best reinvent that I've uh, witnessed and uh, and been able to get some really good information out of it. So the yeah. best reinvent you never attended. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think they did a fantastic job. Obviously, they had several months to prepare for it, and I think it went off pretty smoothly. 
as far as an event and the content delivery. (laughs) But no, this is great, Joe. Really appreciate you uh, joining us today and some fantastic insights. Before we go, though, Joe, I want to put you on the spot. Give us a prediction of 2021 related to cloud. (laughs) Related? (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, the uh, (laughs) modular sense that is a service integrated with uh, SageMaker (laughs) No, maybe that's twenty-two. Um, uh, I think. I think we're honestly. I think we're going to see a lot more focus around again AI and ML and improving not only the capabilities and providing more of that horsepower. We're going to see that from Amazon. I think, in large part, not only to enable customers but to um, differentiate from their competitors uh, like Google Cloud that has a, a very well. Uh, seems understood and positioned capability around machine learning and AI today. So I think that's where Amazon's putting a lot of their effort to improve and and win hearts and minds there. And I think with Nitro, we're going to start to see some more uh, leaps and bounds around performance improvements across the traditional infrastructure stack. Uh, These would be releases that will be sprinkled throughout and then maybe towards the the end of the year with uh, reInvent coming up as well. And uh, I think I think from our customers and those who purchase cloud services, we're going to see a continued interest around spending cloud money smartly. So leveraging these tools to make sure they're fully optimized, leveraging cloud native services, sort of uh, trimming the fat in areas that they don't need to spend it, and refocusing it in more strategic places. So I'm I'm. I'm guessing that we'll see a lot more of that going into this year from customers that we talk to and uh, pretty much anybody going to cloud. So Hmm. good news is good news is (laughs) there are uh, tools and tricks and, and uh, means that uh, can help people get there. So I'm excited for that. I think there's a lot that can be done to help people in many different ways. So it'll be a good one. Excellent. We're ready. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Joe. Really appreciate your time. Of course, Uh, your insight is always impeccable as well. So thanks for that. (laughs) Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Gil. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for joining, Joe. Yeah. And thanks to you, Skip, for always being here with me. And thanks, everybody, for listening to our wonderful podcast, Cloud Crunch. If you have any suggestions, comments, or ideas, please feel free to email us at cloudcrunch at secondwatch.com. You've been listening to Cloud Crunch with Ian Willoughby and Skip Berry. For more information, check out the blog, secondwatch.com slash company slash blog, or reach out to Second Watch on Twitter. Twitter.